take three deep breaths right now. Breathing in and breathing out, wherever you are. Notice how you feel in your body and your mind and come into the present moment. Hello and welcome to And Breathe. My name is Rebecca Dennis and I am a breath coach and this podcast is here to help you understand the power of your breath. Each episode, you'll hear experts and inspirational people from all walks of life share their stories and experiences that have changed their lives for the better. And throughout the podcast, we'll be sharing tips on how our breath can help us through challenging times and how it's much more than just an inhale and an exhale. I'm excited to share with you that accompanying each episode will be an exclusive breathing exercise. You can come back and listen to these at any time you feel the need. They are free, easy to use, relaxing exercises, and the more you practice, the more you'll feel the benefits. I've specially designed these to help you navigate through life by reducing stress and anxiety, getting better sleep, feeling more clarity, focus, gain self-confidence, and bring you more energy. You can find these breathing exercises wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for And Breathe. So let's welcome my next guest. And um, I'm in my bedroom, surrounded by pillows, because obviously we're all in lockdown at the moment. So I've created my own little home studio. Let's see how the sound goes with this. And um, I'm just really excited to be welcoming a really dear friend of mine, Jambo, who... um, I've worked with before and I've also done some amazing training with him before and I'm going to be asking Jambo to share his backstory and also all of his knowledge that he has around uh, the body. He is a real master of the body. He's a yoga teacher, but he also has um, a number of of skills in his, in his pockets, which, which involve Chinese medicine, reflexology, body work. It's, I will let him, um, uh, just, just give you all of those, all of those details and the backstory. But what I really wanted to talk about today was, um, trauma and trauma, I think, which is, is coming up for many people in this time and how just getting a deeper understanding of how we hold trauma in our body and how in these times we can use these times to really listen into our bodies. And so today we're really going to be talking about embodied therapies versus talk therapies and how both of those can complement them and also talking about the somatic side of healing. So welcome Jambo. Hello. Thank you, Rebecca. How exciting it is to be with you today. Yeah, really lovely to see you as well. So you're in Indonesia right now. I am yes. There's been uh, this has been a beautiful day of many lightning and thunderstorms. I spent the earlier part of the day just watching the lightning right outside of my window. It was crazy but beautiful at the same time. So a part of me hopes that we will get some of that during the call, but not too much of it. <laughs> not, <laughs> not not enough to interfere with the call. So yes, I'm here in Indonesia right now, and I'm very excited to share with with everybody my uh, my history of of approaching working with trauma inside of the body the first 12 years of my career were working in within addictions and the majority of the people that i was working with were people that were supported by government supported services and so the the recovering addicts that i worked with were typically people who were threatened with homelessness 
or or they were actually homeless. And a, a big piece of my work then elaborated from from addictions in, into other fields. But the, the 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 pathway towards that was because I essentially started as a substance misuse symptom management specialist. So my first job was to enable addicts who wanted to come in and see their counselor or their key worker or whoever, their housing officer or whatever, but they were unable to function because they were not able to use their substance as well as attend some of these projects. So my job was to reduce the side effects of the, of the symptoms that they would, that they would have as a result of essentially cold turkey. And then that branched off into helping so, so basically people would come in and I would eliminate the, the symptoms around insomnia or anxiety or, sn- or sweating or something like that, yeah. just so they could go ahead and actually do the talking work that they needed to do. Can I just ask you what, what methods were you using at that time? Okay. So I, I had just finished studying or I was in my final year of studying my degree in complementary medicine. So, uh, the, the way that it worked was the as soon as you completed a module, you were able to practice it. So I didn't have to finish until I didn't have to wait until the three years ended before I could could practice as a practitioner. So in the first couple of years, I was offering things such as reflexology, aromatherapy, massage, acupressure, and then in the second year, I started to offer more Ayurvedic style treatments. And then in the final year, I went actually back to my roots of, of, of classical East Asian medicine and I was offering acupuncture then. So I, and I, the reason why I chose Ayurveda was because of my background. And I, I, I knew that if anything fell apart, I could just come back home and revisit the, the Chinese medicine stuff. So I ventured out into the world of Ayurveda that way. And, and it was a really exciting time, actually. I remember, I remember when I was introduced to a particular treatment called Shiradhara, where there's a warm oil dripped on the forehead. And when I was studying yeah. this, because uh, after, after the second year, I, I realized, oh, I've, I've got to go deeper into this. So I went off to India and explored that a lot more. And my teacher there had told me that if you give an addict a Shiradhara treatment once a day for 15 days, they'll be able to loosen their, their grips around this addiction or the, the, the addiction the grip of the addiction around them rather. So yeah. I came back to the UK and I was obsessed with it. I was pouring warm oil on everyone's head. And mm-hmm. for, for the people who've had it before, it's like, it's, it's just warm enough. So it feels like a warm oil bath to the scalp and the warmth yeah. softens the forehead. And there, uh, there is a constant stream of flowing warm oil moving across the forehead in a figure of eight kind of, kind of motion. And that begins to soothe the mind and uh, takes people into a deep meditative experience. So I understand how if you take an addict through, an addict through such a deep meditative experience every day for 15 days, something is going to loosen up, right? Because I guess it's in that way that you're, bringing addicts back into their bodies and also this feeling of connection as well, because a lot of addiction, as far as my concern and my understanding is that addiction has to do with, with dicks of lack of connection, doesn't it? Or feeling Absolutely. disconnected in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. A big root uh, of, of, of the cause of addiction or addictions that continue to perpetuate is because People get lonely and they're isolated. They're disconnected to other people. And then if they're disconnected to other people, they also then begin to disconnect from themselves. So I, I really hope that those who are in recovery right now during the time of lockdown have got some resources to tap into. 
Yeah, yeah. And it'd be really good to just to go further into that jambo as well. Maybe <clears throat> share some some more advice and tips that you have around addiction, but also addiction comes in in so many forms as well, not not just with drugs and, and alcohol. Um, and we'll talk about that more before, you know, once we've gone through your your backstory, but in the way that sometimes stress can be addictive or Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not just a substance. Mm. I mean, I feel very blessed that I was able to work with people that had substance misuse addictions because that, yeah. that's, that's where everyone is looking. That's where all the chaos or the messes and all that stuff. But really, when you come mm. out of that on the other side, you realize that mental health and addiction are like twins. They come together. You can't really have one without the other. And then as a result of mental health addiction, excuse me, mental health imbalances, it can spread out into abuse of like sort of abuse of food, eating disorders, sexual abuse, domestic violence. You're actually being addicted to violence or violent behavior, whether that's towards another or towards yourself. We can explore those, those arenas of addiction around shopping, playing games which are very linked very closely linked to the same addictions around gambling essentially what everyone is doing is trying to get a little bit of a reward fix yeah yeah and, yeah. and that takes us into the, the what we were discussing recently about treats and how we treat ourselves and how we think mm. it's okay to have uh you know like a glass of wine at the end of the day because it was a large uh, it was a hard day or whatever but yeah there are many many different areas of the way that we we had, we become addicted to stuff even being addicted to being very busy yes yeah absolutely right so you um so you uh were starting working with people with addictions um where was this was this in newcastle at the time and this was That's at the right. time when you were when you when you were doing your complementary therapy degree or training and then you moved into other other arenas didn't you as well that's right that's right so so what was very interesting after managing this the symptoms that they had from cold turkey i then went into helping them manage the side effects that came with the various medications that they were taking so such as mm. methadone diazepams all the different types of, of of benzos you know that kind of thing and then uh, and, and then i went on to work with side effects that came from medication associated with HIV and hepatitis C because these two blood-borne viruses are very, uh, very involved within the realms of addiction around, uh, you, it can be transmitted by unprotected sex or sharing needles or, you know, things like that. So that was when, when things got started to get super exciting for me and when the world of complementary therapies and the world of, 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 modern day medicine as we know it could finally merge together and and they could see the benefit of the other because one can't do what the other one is doing but they can certainly certainly support each other and you've worked in prisons and um you've worked with sex workers and people with sexual uh, who have been sexually abused as well so that's right yeah and did you find that um there was like a common ground of trauma absolutely absolutely a huge common ground of trauma and especially there was a there was another area that i that i worked with just for a short period of time where i was working with young people that were affected by parents who were addicts 
And so the the quality, if you like, of trauma was very, very similar within within all fields of it. I would say that the most extreme of the of the traumas is the ones where people are repetitively physically abused. That's when yeah. it's not completely different. It's just a, it just takes a little bit longer to to move through that one, you know. Uh, but but essentially, the way the process in which everyone approaches their work with trauma through the medium of the body, which is the way that you and I love working, is very very mm-hmm. similar. For me, the nervous system doesn't judge trauma in the way that that an academic around trauma might judge it. For example. You know, the nervous system yeah. senses it as the exact same thing. It doesn't know how to word it or give it these additional labels or hierarchies or anything like that. I personally believe that it doesn't matter what type of trauma a, a, a person experiences. It doesn't matter how they verbalize it or think about it or, or explain it. Within the body, the experience is very much the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you you bring that up because it's in the way that sometimes when we talk about trauma and when we um, work with trauma and maybe when you talk to someone about their backstory and they say, oh, no, I had a great childhood and I haven't had anything traumatic happen to me. And, you know, I haven't experienced anything, you know, like as like maybe child abuse or sex abuse or or just. But then, but then trauma can just come in so many different forms, can't it? Even you might have had the most, um, magical, uh, childhood or you might have felt very safe, but then there might have been times when even though your parents weren't, um, necessarily, you know, there wasn't necessarily abuse going on in the family, but there might have been times when the parent hasn't been present and therefore the child has felt traumatized because of this without being able to verbalize that or or express that and then the ways that when we go to school and what we experience about fitting in in the playground or just our conditionings and our you know surroundings and physically what we go through and um emotionally and mentally it just comes in so many different layers doesn't it and so i think it's it's uh, when people uh talk about trauma and and as well i i guess because now <clears throat> It's a lot, people are a lot more aware of how our body knows the score, right? How it, how it's, it holds on to this information, doesn't it? And like what you and I were talking about, about how in talk therapy, we can intellectualize or we can talk about a story. We can, um, go over it in our head and then we can practice forgiveness and we can maybe feel like once we know we have, years and years of therapy or weeks and weeks and weeks of therapy of what's being held in the mind but then it can be a very different story of what's actually happening with the body and the story that the body is holding on to and how our body um it's like a biological recording of our past that's, that's holding on to all of this data all of this information within our nervous system within our um our cells within all of the systems of our body right and that's where you know this embodied therapy which we were talking about yesterday which is what I love that um you teach and and I love to teach as well and yes 
I'm so glad that you brought that up because you're, you're right. Many people will come across as though they have a denial around experiencing trauma because they've had a lovely childhood, just like you say. But people forget. Let me let me offer a few very, very classical examples of trauma that anyone and most people in modern day world would have experienced that remain so unconscious within the body and still influence the way that we make decisions within our adult life. Like the first time your heart was broken, you know, mm-hmm. the first time the boy or the girl rejected you, you know, the first time that your mom or your dad said, no, you can't do that. You can't have that toy. You can't have that bag of sweets. I mean, I recall, I definitely recall being told no when I was a child and it was a very traumatizing experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and also there are moments, like you say, when, the, when at least we as the child in that moment perceive that the parent is not being present, although they could have been doing the very best. Like, you know, you're going, mommy, 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 but there is, there is something that's cooking on the stove and mommy's really got to go and stop it. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a very dangerous mess. And, you know, the mother makes a beeline for the, ki- for, for the kitchen and the child's like, eh, eh, eh. I, I feel as though I'm not seen or that my needs are not met. And, the, and, and these things are so unconscious within, within us that we forget how or we're unaware of how much they affect us in big moments of our lives when you really want to do, you want to approach that person or you want to approach that job or you want to talk about that project or you want to step up into your power, into your confidence. But these little, these little, like, like the little knots inside of us remain so unconscious, which is why I, I so believe in the work that we do when people are able to free up these knots. They're then able to be more themselves and the more of ourselves that we can be, the more we can bring into whatever it is that we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's that when I was just talking earlier about um, even stress being addictive and also like in this times that we're in right now with this extreme times of transformation and where um we're all in lockdown and we're really having to spend a lot of time with ourselves. And, and it's it's obviously this opportunity to go and do some very, very deep inner work. But then also sometimes that can be, it's very uncomfortable, you know, for us to sit with the uncomfortableness. And therefore we, we spend a lot of our time sort of distracting ourselves, um, or, uh, numbing out or keeping ourselves really busy and that that stress sort of you know it's it's like what I you know like I was mentioning how even even myself when they when we first went into lockdown I was like oh my god I've got to get all this information out there I need to help people I need to you know I could feel this I could feel these feelings within my body and feeling it this the old anxieties and old patterns and triggers of myself coming up this need to fix people and this maybe what was that was it ego was it validation or was it purpose or you know I'm really having to to sit with that myself as well and so although a lot has changed but nothing has really changed as in internally for us, right? Um, but it really is bringing up a lot of this stuff to the surface. I, I feel for people to have this opportunity to actually choose. We know we can't necessarily change 
what is is happening right now and we can't actually control no we can't actually necessarily control what's happening right now but we do have a choice about how we sit with it how we work with it um and what we can change within ourselves right absolutely then what a great example of explaining about an opportunity that we all have now like in the in the system of, of yoga that i teach forest yoga is very very strongly focused around releasing and working with trauma because the founder of the forest she was she was sold into the sex trade as a child and she had mm-hmm. issues with addiction and she she couldn't feed herself because she just didn't come from that kind of background and she was very unloved and uncared for by her parents so a lot of people that come to this system of yoga are, are coming because of a background in trauma. And, and so when we're doing these yoga asana, when we do these yoga poses and we can be open and feeling in our bodies in, in, in so many opportunities during just one session, we then start to feel into stories that are there that we have forgotten about. And now when we distract ourselves and we can all, all humans can distract ourselves as much as we want to, but eventually we have to look at that stuff or that stuff will remind us that it's there. And if you choose to look at it, you have an opportunity to be liberated from your, in your entire personal history, transgenerational history within that moment. And of course it's very uncomfortable. So now, now that we don't have the opportunity of doing yoga together in that kind of environment because we're at home, well, actually this is like, like you say, this stuff doesn't leave us, right? And after a few weeks of being in, quarantine that stuff is going to wake back up again and just nag our attention and so this is a great time to pause and actually make a better change your relationship with that part of you that is nagging you because right now it'll just feel as though oh that anxiety is back let's just use anxiety for a moment here that anxiety is back but that anxiety has been there the whole time it has affected all of the decisions that we made from go choosing a relationship to to probably going to, to try some clothes on, you know, and, and whilst you're going shopping and it will affect us in, in these tiny, sneaky ways that we're unaware about. So if you really want to be liberated right now during this time when we're like inside of our own homes, and for me, that's the same, same kind of environment as if you were in a safe space, like if you're in one of your breathing spaces or one of my yoga spaces. Okay, we're all in, doors shut. Doors locked. Okay, let's go, guys. And we, and we go into it, and we do that work. And But so now that we're all in quarantine, it's an ideal time to do that stuff. And I know it, it's uncomfortable and it's really, really scary, but I suggest that this is a great opportunity for all of us to make become more friends with ourselves, really. And mm-hmm. I see these little knots of trauma within us are all, they're all just parts of us because, you know, you, you, you know that sometimes we make decisions that form these knots because at that time it was the best decision that we could have made to stay safe, yeah. for example. But yeah. 10 years on, like a decade on, or even two to three decades on, that, that paradigm, that belief is still there and still affecting the way that we, we live our lives. And I, I, what I love the most about doing this work in my own life is how I'm able to love people, like the people that I want to love, with greater freedom to love them. Like I, I don't hold back as much anymore because I'm less afraid of not being emotionally safe. But that's as a result of, you know, really being with these things as they come up. So having real, so having like real presence with the trauma 
as well. Absolutely. So actually practicing presence and being your your own authority and and also when these feelings are coming up of say anxiety or you feel a tightness in the chest or you're feeling a tightness in the jaw or the throat or there is this reaction or this decision that you make and it's like um those times when we hold ourselves back from you know if maybe we've been put forward to to share something or to speak something or or we've we're feeling overwhelmed and so on and you can there's either somehow how the brain um reacts to as in, in part of parts of our brain react to some of these decisions, but also the body. And, um, and then to really use this opportunity to sit with it in the way that you would, um, if a child was really scared on the for example, and they're yes. at the end of a corridor and they're, they're telling you that they're really scared right now. And so you, you wouldn't just say to that child well you know you you just you just stay there down the end of the corridor and you you get on with it and you'll be fine you just you wouldn't do that would you so no. you would you would stay there and be there with them and listen to them and help them to not feel that right uh, absolutely absolutely so the, the the first thing that happens when i have any of these triggers that come up is i do exactly as you say i treat it as though oh i have a i have a really upset child with me and you know, the, the first thing I do is I take myself down to the level of the child as in like, you know, I lower my head down or I go down on my knees or I come down into something, you know, I move my body down or at least internally, that's what I'm doing, you know? Mm. And then my voice is yes. like, hey, yes. hey, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel the way that you're feeling and just be there with the feeling of this part of myself. And I allow it to make as much noise as it wants inside of my body because there's like tension or gripping or, you know, the, the, a very physical anxiety instead of a brain anxiety. And the whole time I'm almost repeating, it is totally okay for you to feel the way that you feel. You have every right to feel, no, I'm not surprised you feel like that. I would feel like that too until this part of myself begins to calm down a little bit. And then I start to bring in reasoning with myself. And that, I, the way that you mentioned it earlier was beautiful. That's the way that we then teach ourselves to be our own authority. Because at some time as a child, that could have happened to us once when we were ignored, or at least we felt yeah. that we were ignored. And that, mm -hmm. in the child's eyes, is authority letting us down. And then we don't know yeah. how to be, right? We don't know how to be our own authority then because our own authority totally just dropped us. So in this work, in this present moment as an adult right now is to be your own authority, like you say, and to go into that moment with, with a high level of awareness and reassure that part of, of you that you are your own authority. So A, yes, absolutely. You can feel the way that you feel. Okay. Now that we've calmed down, what would you like to do next? And then we move on. <laughs> because it's that, um, you know, when you get your gut feelings or this intuition as well, and sometimes maybe you can feel your, there's something inside you telling you, actually, this doesn't feel right. I don't want to do this. And and then it's actually how you can, um, how you can know or how you can have a deeper understanding of knowing is that the fear? Is it the anxiety? Or is that actually your intuitive, wisest um, 
inner gut feelings that are telling you that as well. And then so to kind of find, being able to define the difference between those. I mean, oh, yeah, love it, love it, love it. And, and if, if people want to get better at understanding the true voice of their intuition, then they must listen to all of these voices. Otherwise, how do we discern them? So, for example, uh, you, you could say that intuition is a combination of knowledge and experience. And then your traumas are these triggers. So let's say I'm going about my, my day-to-day life now and then I have this gripping inside of my body and I'm feeling frightened. Oh no, I really should do that. I should, you know, I should go that direction or something like that. When I notice that the gripping is in a particular way, like a closing way to my body yeah. of some sort, yeah. then I know this is an old trauma. I know it. And then intuition is when it's almost as though my breath is very, very free. My eyes are wide open and I'm more accepting of, oh, this could be another possibility. And But you can't really discern those two. And, and that's just my way of understanding it. Each person will have their own, their own rich understanding because intuition is our own personal language. There's no yeah. other language on the planet in the whole universe that matches our own intuition. So I just spoke about how my breath becomes free. You know, my eyes become wide open. And that's just how I resonate with being receptive and switched on. Uh, but that's come from, for example, so let's talk about scarcity for a second. And so in those moments yeah. when I experience scarcity, which is a very odd emotion for me to experience, but I'm in quarantine. So old stuff has an opportunity to creep back up. And so I'm experiencing scarcity in my head and I stop. I just take a breath. I don't move my body at all. I just freeze, take a deep breath. And I start to become mindful of, okay, where is their gripping right now? Where is their tension? Where do I not feel free? And I breathe into that area, inviting it to be free, inviting it to be spacious. And as soon as I started to focus on what I'm doing, I literally changed my entire body language. So if my shoulders are collapsed forwards and my head is down or my chest is is closed off from the world, I'll take a moment, then I pull my shoulder blades back, I stand up straight, lift my head up high. And I, then I stay there for a couple of breaths. And what I'm doing then is teaching wherever I'm feeling this locked up trauma, we can experience life in a very different way via the medium of this posture right here. Mm, beautiful. So it's really, I guess it's not something that we're necessarily taught about. It's not really ingrained in childhood about getting in touch with our felt senses, getting in touch with you know, our feeling, you know, trusting our feelings as opposed to, you know, what the mind is saying and what the heart is saying. Right. And, and then really how we have all of this innate intelligence, right? In our body, so much intelligence, communication going via the brain into the body, into the new, into the nervous system and communicating going up and down constantly. Um, yes. But when we're, when that communication is, um, is out of balance or if the wiring is, you know, it needs some resetting sometimes. And really the, 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 the only way is, is to really truly sit in that uncomfortableness and work through it with these, these modalities such as right. movement, working with the breath. Right. Yeah. Um, and also just, I mean, because often we, we go 
to be fixed by by others, don't we? But but really, would you say like the the true work that we can do is it's just that is deep within, like you just said. It's like really only you know yes. where what you the voice of your intuition. Yes, no one can tell you what that voice or that feeling feels or sounds like only you will know that and that takes time doesn't it and that takes work and that takes deep inner work yeah absolutely absolutely and and you're right it takes deep inner work is very much a personal journey and i feel that the advantage of having individuals like yourself and i holding a safe environment holding a safe space yeah. for these people is so that we enable whoever wants to do this work to reconnect to their own sense of value so if if for a moment, if I could describe your own sense of value as your heart's truth. So as, a, as you know, as, as an adult or in this moment, it's about hearing the true voice of your heart's desires and following that. That's like, that's in, like intuition, right? Now, if at some point when you were younger and you didn't want to eat some food as a baby and your, you know, whoever was feeding you freaked out a little bit or made you eat this anyway, then what happens is that we, we lose track of valuing our own values. We feel less valued. And the more of that that happens throughout life, so hello school, hello, you know, whatever, mm. however, whatever scenarios yeah. that happens in, that disconnects us even more to our own sense of our, our value. And the more that disconnect happens, the further away the brain and the heart become. And I guess the further away we, we go from, from ourselves, right? Absolutely. So when we are facilitating the space, I, what I see, especially when I'm working with you and I'm looking at the people once you're speaking to them, is that everyone here has an opportunity to rewire that. Because we, 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 we literally have to come in and therapeutically show them this is how you become your own authority. This is how you, this is how you connect to your heart by releasing all this stuff that comes up in the moment during the sessions, you know? And so I, I believe that once people, what I, what I hope is that when people come to work with you or I or both of us or, or whoever, eventually they get on a track of being able to do this by themselves. And then they come to work with us when they need a space held so they can work on something that's very, very specific to them. Yeah. What I found really powerful working with you and um, I mean, and everything that you teach is there's the deep body work and the self acupressure and going to some of these places, these little pulsating places in my, in my body where you have held part of those places where it has just released, um, you know, like past grief or old stories. And, and, um, and so with all of your, why don't we talk about that? Like how we, um, I mean, I know, gosh, that could probably, I mean, you, you could, you, we could talk about this till the cows come home. We also there's there's wit there is like years and years of knowledge within you. But um, just if we go over like maybe the jaw, the shoulders, the hips, great, the stomach, okay, great. yeah, great, okay, so, let you go, okay. Let, let, let's talk about. I would like to talk about for some of the areas. Uh, within the body where we may feel experience tension as a result of being in quarantine for a long time and mm -hmm. for for a while because that will that enables us to 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 make a few more associations of of what I want to share so let's let for example the jaw and the neck 
Now, the, the jaw is very much about not being able to speak, not being able to share what is inside of your own heart, holding your words back, holding your truth back, whether that's a request or a statement. And the neck is very much associated with frustration. Now, these two, I want to start with these two areas because during the life of quarantine, we're probably sat at our computers a lot. And so the, the, right, so the, the neck and the jaw is a very easy area to get tensed up around because, you know, the, the, the glutes, the hips are, I mean, the hips are not completely relaxed, but your glutes are not on, you know, like you're, 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 you might be using your arms a little bit, but if you experience stress from an email or a social media update or something, the news or whatever, then it's the jaw and the neck that has to, has to do some of the clenching. So, uh, so yeah, you could start with there and then anywhere on the upper chest area is usually associated with grief and the tears, I, I, this this area here we coined the well of sorrow so the entire area around and underneath the collarbone and these are pockets of spaces where the tears that we have not yet cried remain within this well and then the the area of the upper back between the shoulder blades this is the area of the back of the heart the back of the heart is connected to trust this is the area where we feel stabbed in the back and so when we felt when we've been stabbed in the back at some point in our lives, then what happens is that we, we either begin to mistrust other people or what's worse than that, I often find, is when we mistrust ourselves to trust a certain situation, yeah. you know? And, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Any, any sort of flexion movement, so when the shoulders and the legs come closer together or, or when we're flexing at the, the hip, like when you bring knee up towards chest, this is... This is your, your, this is the body's response to either freeze, run away, or fight back. So you imagine a, a martial artist, they would have to pick up their leg to get ready to kick, or a runner would, would move one leg back, one leg forward. So the front leg is in, the hip is flexed, they're ready to run away. And another variation of that is when we freeze. So when you curl up into a ball. Again, the knees come up towards the chest. So then the hip flexor yeah. area is very much associated with fears. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could go on, but <laughs> okay. lower back is about stability. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's as well, Jambo, like you say, especially in this time when <clears throat> when people, you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of sort of romanticizing about, I mean, maybe for some people for lockdown, there is a an element of some people experiencing this slowing down and reading books and cooking and, um, and learning a guitar or language and so on. But then there's an awful lot of other people who are in panic mode and there's paranoia and there's loss of like sense of security and, and, and so much like around like fear or anxiety. And so when those feelings sometimes come up where with that tension, which is like when you're on the newsfeed or if you're on your computer or if you're on social media, and then that tension that is being created in the throat and in the jaw and in the chest. And then of course, if that's creating tension, then maybe like, Oh, have I got a little bit of sore throat or, you know, am I getting the symptoms? And, and so all of these, you know, then, then that can start to, to roll out and play a little game as well can't it so it's just just in this port importance of sort of like mental hygiene but also emotional hygiene but also just like body maintenance in this time to really be aware of uh, those sp spaces that you've just um 
spoken about of just trying to just if you're noticing that you're you're hunching over or there is tension there to just to come into that space and just just try to keep it really open and working with exercises and yoga and heart opening exercises as well right so that, and also just noticing how you're breathing because if you're breathing in that uh-huh. way in flight or fight, then you're going to be breathing a lot more up in the chest area as well, aren't you? Creating this tension in our shoulders. Absolutely, mm. and 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 I mean, I mean, I could talk all day about the anatomy of breathing, but I'll just say this: that the <laughs> secondary muscles of inhalation are all in your neck and shoulders. So if you're not yeah. breathing properly, which is your diaphragm, which is the key initiator of breathing if the diaphragm is not breathe is not functioning optimally because because of poor posture or because intentionally not taking deep breaths then every single time you inhale you use these tiny muscles in your neck and shoulders to compensate for the inhale now the muscles in the neck and the shoulders are of of phasic muscles so they exhaust faster now the diaphragm is made of tonic tissue so it takes a way longer time nobody ever says Oh, bloody hell, I'm exhausted from all this breathing, you know? The diaphragm is, is a powerful, powerful structure, which is, which, which is why it's also known as the, as the muscle of confidence, the muscle of your personal power. So we use it by taking deep breaths. So if we don't use the main initiator of inhalation, then we have to use all these tiny structures. Now we inhale about what, a hundred thousand times a day, something like that, you know, you know, let's hope at least then you, you are literally compensating with your neck and shoulders a hundred thousand times a day, every mm-hmm. single time you take a breath. Mm-hmm. And that is all related to how we are feeling emo- emotionally and how we're choosing to respond to the emotions. So mm-hmm. the, uh, for me, the diaphragm is like a keyboard and the nervous system, the whole nervous system, brain included, is the, is the computer, is the, that you're, and so when yeah. you breathe, you're tapping in what program you Absolutely. want this computer to come out with. And it's a catch 22. You type in an anxiety breath pattern and eventually a little mm-hmm. while, that's what the brain is going to tell the diaphragm to do. And then we get just caught up in that loop. So to go back to what you were saying about the people who are, who are very, very anxious. Yes, of course that they're anxious right now and the trauma that is reawakening or revisiting them has come to such a height that it, it, it's become the realest thing in their reality. And that's when they start mm. assuming that they have symptoms, even if they do not. So yeah. one of the best things that we can help with these people is to show them how to reverse that pattern immediately because a trauma and, and the way that we, re, re, we respond or react to a trauma, actually, let me say that again. The way that we react towards a trauma is an addictive pattern. Yeah. And in the way that when if people have had times in their lives when they've not felt safe yes. in their bodies and they've not um, felt heard or they've not... Um, they've not felt good enough or they've not felt worthy and all of these things that come up, but it's particularly the safeness, you know, when you, when you've gone through these experiences of not feeling safe. So then we kind of immediately go up back up to the head as well. So we're not really grounded or present or feeling balanced. And all of these feelings that are coming up with like, say like that sense of the future, what's going to happen in the future, like kind of what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen next, because we're in this place at the moment of such the unknown, like well, all we can be certain of right now is that life is very, very uncertain. You know, that's probably the most certain thing that we can we can say. 
And it is this, this sort of false sense of security with structure that we have sort of created around us with all of these coping mechanisms to kind of get through life or just sort of just to kind of scrape through. But then when something like this happens and it really, you know, it really, I guess, tests how the foundations of our, of our structures and kind of which ones are really grounded and what, which ones, um, are maybe more kind of like force structures or supports that we've just been using as a coping mechanism to get through life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Such a big one, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's so Mm -hmm. present for everyone right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and it's now time to, to reorganize our coping mechanisms essentially and come from a place that's much more wiser so that we break free from it. So after all of this, however life directs us, we don't have to carry this thing that we've been carrying thus far in our journey anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because what are the lessons, you know, when, when and if it, you know, what, whatever normal is, you know, life goes back to normal, if it will ever be kind of quite the same again, like what are those lessons that we can take and what can we, what can we, um, uh, what can we teach ourselves from this? And then, so what like little tools can we give ourselves for if anything like this can ever happen again? Right. So how do we want to be in this waking world? I mean, you know, if we're scared, if we're feeling anxious, if we're, maybe if we're excited, you know, it's like, um, but you know, what advice, what tips would you, you know, what would like your sort of key tips be for people right now, Jambo? Okay. So what I strongly suggest is everybody chooses to live by an elevated emotional state. Now, the way that you choose your elevated emotional state is by asking yourself, how would I feel if everything was going wonderfully? So for example, how would I feel if my children were healthy, if my family were healthy, if I was healthy, how would I feel if there was enough food, things like that. And then, so let's say the emotional, the emotion that comes up is I feel safe or I feel at peace or I feel joy then that is the elevated emotional state that you will personally work with. And everybody's elevated emotional state should be different because we all have a different idea of how we want our reality to be. So for example, somebody who's within scarcity, maybe they might want to choose abundance. Maybe somebody who wants to know miracles, they will choose all. Maybe somebody who wants really good health, they will choose appreciation. Maybe if somebody wants to feel as though they can transcend everything and anything that comes in their way, they will choose peace. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So yeah. So you choose your elevated emotional state and then you essentially close your eyes and breathe. If you can feel your breath moving through your heart, then do that or just feel your breath moving through your side ribs, whatever, but make it deep and continue breathing like that until you wake up this emotion inside and you'll have it because we all have moments of abundance, joy or peace or appreciation or gratitude. And, yeah. and, then, and then you start to use your imagination to, to bring in with your creative mind, how, what other things could come into my mind that would enable me to connect to this particular emotion a lot more. And so then you, and then after a little while, the feeling of that very thing that you're trying to elevate becomes so prominent that it feels so real. That's how you set an intent. 
That's how I set an intent in my body. But right now, well, uh, 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 maybe about a year ago, I was focusing on awe because in that time of my work, okay, so a very quick story. I looked at the schedule that my, my assistants had organized for me and I took one look at it over the, the following six months and I was like, there is no way I'm going to be able to do that. What were you guys thinking? But anyway, contracts already signed, et cetera, et cetera. So I just had to go with it and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to use my practice to get through this and thrive through this? So I thought, okay, if I want to know miracles, I need to know all. So I meditated every single day on the experience of awe. And so I, I would wake up and that would be the first thing I do. What does awe feel like? What do I know of awe? What can I create about awe? What have I seen in movies about awe? What have I seen on photos about awe? You know, it's stuff that I haven't even seen in real life until the feeling is so, so real. And the moment the feeling is real that I am so in awe, then I open my eyes and then go through my life. Then... Then there are moments when the resistance to awe shows up in the form of triggers or whatever. And then I stop, breathe into that part of my body, do the reverse body pattern of what I was doing, continue breathing, connecting to awe to show this part of myself. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I get it's like, it's like saying to it, I get that you don't want to go to school, but actually school's not going to be that bad. <laughs> it's not going to be as bad as you think. That kind of attitude I'm having with it. And then once that risk really changes through my body and then I continue and then I continue. And then what happens after a while is that very thing that you're looking for, because this is a law of life, is the thing that you see. So I was witnessing miracles all the time. And I, I'll never forget this because usually when I do a meditation practice, I focus on the same emotional state every day for three months. But at the, at the end of the three months, I asked myself, do I want to move on to another elevated emotional state? And within the meditation practice, I felt very compelled to continue doing this for a whole year. So I set the date. And then on the last day of focusing on all, I, I think I jumped on a train. I was going to Wales from Bristol and I was very excited. That's my last day. And this, I've had a year of all. It's been amazing. Somebody sends me a, a message and says, you need to look at this. And it was an article, I can't remember, Science Direct or something like that. I can't remember, Science Live, uh, where it was said, science research, scientists research on the effectiveness of all. And the last day that I had to focus on it. So it just felt so affirming, you know, so, so confirming that, that I chose the right state. So the advice is this, choose one elevated emotional state. Be dedicated to focusing on it for several days. Three months is a good time because that, that is when the body then knows, okay, I definitely know how to live this way. Is that, can I just ask you, in, yes. in your, in your um, experience with around addiction and, um, and moving through addiction, and would you say that three months is, is like the 12, like, is it a bit like the 12 week program? Yes, is correct. it, yeah, is that where, correct. yeah. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. So there was one particular rehab where the rotations were 12 weeks and usually the, that's all you were funded for to work for 12 weeks. I mean, if you needed to stay on, you would get another 12 weeks, but it was a 12 week block of work that you had to do. So it's, yeah, very interesting that you mentioned that. that. Yeah. And, and I mean, also like the first trimester of pregnancy, it's like when you're getting used to it. And after the first trimester, you're like, okay, I'm definitely pregnant. I definitely know what I'm doing. I do, you know, that it's, it's, there's, uh, and in so a meditation practice, that if we change the intent every day, then you're not really meditating, you're just calming down. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to know the, the, the emotional state 
and what it can do to your body and your life, then contain it, maintain containing it for, for three months daily. And so then what happens is that as you go about your life, it doesn't matter what's going on. So you hear a bit of crazy news or whatever. And then instead of reacting, I then ask myself, how would I approach this if I was in awe? And then it's a completely different approach. Same with the treat. How would I treat this moment if I was coming in with awe? And, you know, the, the, the same with, with, with whatever it is that we're doing. I mean, I said this when the, when, when the lockdown started. I said, if you're going to go out and mass buy toilet paper, focus on the energy that you're bringing into it. Because let's say with appreciation, if you go in appreciating the fact that you can go buy toilet paper, that is that appreciation is going to unfold in the, in all other areas of your life. But if you go and buy toilet paper out of fear, that fear is going to continue to unfold out of all of your life. So it doesn't matter whether it's toilet paper, glass of wine, or a piece of cake. It is the it is the energy that you bring in behind it, and because you have the energy behind it, this is how you are valuing yourself. This is the intent. Of, of your life, of your day. And so because you have that intent, you become unshakable. Yeah, I love that, Jambo. I just love it. It's brilliant. Thank you. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm definitely going to practice that. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to set myself today, my three-month practice meditation of an elevated emotion yes. that I'm going to work with hundred percent um i just want to say um that that there's, there's so much there's there's so much that people can i mean how can people reach uh your your teachings and yeah, i know you've got some stuff on youtube you've got courses yeah. and um and y there's so many that's like you know there's so many different elements to to the work that you teach um, but how how can people find you, Jambo? Okay, well, uh, in, in line with what we are talking about, but well, first of all, I have an online school, jambodragonschool.com. And on that school is a range of yoga, yoga practices and meditation practices. The yoga practice that I do is very heavily focused around stability for joints. So it's, you know, it's not too many fancy poses, for example. Although I, don't get me wrong, I love fancy poses, playing with them myself. But my work is very much around joint stability. And the med and there's also some yoga practices where the intents are very much around how we access more of our heart's wisdom, our heart's truth. And I am about to launch a 28-day meditation practice out of a, a practice that I created called the eight-phase practice. Now, the eight phases derive from a combination of traditional meditation techniques and modern-day meditation techniques. And the reason why I've combined them all is because of this. I believe that modern-day techniques don't necessarily take as, as deep as traditional techniques, but traditional techniques often make us not active enough to live in modern day life. For That's a very loose example, but there's within, within the course, I go into more detail about it. And also, so there's eight different phases and the, the, the each phase you spend only five minutes in. And then the phase that you are least able to connect to is the phase that you practice. So very much in the way that I do joint stability, you don't strengthen a muscle that's already strong and you don't stretch out a muscle that's already long. I want you to embrace all of these aspects of your meditative psyche, but only work on the one that you are actually most disconnected to in order to create more of a holistic 
meditative psyche. But the 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 twenty eight day challenge that I have, or it's not really a challenge, but the twenty eight day piece of work that I have coming up on the seventh of May is all around inner child work. So Beautiful. when you go through the eight days, you will be taking your inner child through the eight days, so that part of you has an opportunity to work through this stuff using these eight steps. Uh, and, and there's a two hour prelude to this event uh, the weekend before, okay. but they can find all of that up on my website. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely make sure that this podcast um, goes out before then as well so that Thank people you. can sign up for that. Um, wow. I mean, we'll have to do this again, won't we? We'll have to do it like on another subject but um, because there's so much more that we can we can delve into. But also I just want to say, Jambo, you're, you're so generous with, with what you give, with your information and just – I mean, you just, you share so much with, with all of us, not just in this podcast, but also just, you know, your generosity with the trainings and, and on outside of the training as well to all of us. So thank you so much. I'm so, I mean, I'm just so happy that you're, you're in my life, even though we're always in different parts of the world, but you're always there, which is just wonderful. So yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. And, um, and, uh, yeah, just uh, I hope that, that everybody else just gets so much out of this podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always great to hang out with you and an hour is never, ever enough. So I, I hope that the information shared in a very condensed way was understandable because, you know, like I know that you and I can talk for, for months without a break. Yeah. Uh, and I would love to come yeah. back and chat with you guys again. All right. Thank you, my darling. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I you. Okay. So I hope that you loved listening to Jambo as much as I loved sharing that session with him today. Oh gosh. He's, I, I just love that man. He's such an inspiration to me. And um, yeah, he's someone that I would like to be carrying around my pocket all the time. So yeah, I really hope that you you got something from that. Jambo has very generously given me one of his breathing exercises that he works with um, for strengthening the lungs. So in the mini episode, I will be sharing that with you. You can find this wherever you find your podcasts. I would love to hear your feedback. If you found it useful or if it helped you to feel more positive, your stories of how it's made a difference mean the world to me. And it's why I love sharing breathwork. We all know someone going through challenging times and sometimes we don't know what to say. Maybe these breathing exercises can help navigate them through. I'm on Instagram at breathing.tree or to find out more about breathwork, check out my website breathingtree.co.uk. This podcast was edited by Kazra Virosia and produced by One Fine Play. And remember to keep breathing and listening out for more inspiring episodes coming very soon.